You're listening to the Art of Floating podcast. Podcast. This is one of your hosts, Dylan, and uh, I'm actually on vacation today. I'm uh, currently in Malibu, California, soaking up the sun. Technically, I'm also battling the flu. <laughs> um, and uh, if I feel better here, we'll uh, be going to Joshua Tree to do some rock climbing, which I'd be really excited for. If you're a regular listener, you know that uh, Sandra and I have been extremely stretched thin over the past few months, and we really just need a break. But, uh, not to say that we don't have an episode for you. I'm really excited. The timing worked out very well for this. Is a uh, we have an interview with Shane Stott, uh, the author of the Float Tank Cure. So um, he really opens up. I think it's a very personal interview and um, uh, gives some tips on on floating as well, and um, or at least introducing floats. And um, uh, of course, I start the interview by uh, giving an insult. So. Maybe I'll just start every interview with the hat, but uh, anyway, enjoy enjoy the interview. Shane, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, ma'am. It's good to be here. Um, you're the author of The Float Tank Cure. Yes, yes. This is a very interesting book to me as a float center operator, float center owner. We, we stock it in our, in our uh, float center. Um, it seems, how do I say this? There were parts that didn't scream out to me. Wow, how's this to start an interview? There were parts that, that were about... <laughs> I like this. <laughs> about <laughs> Go, meditation and, and things that I feel like I've spent a lot of time on, and I was kind of tuning out reading the book. And it there was this aha moment to me where I just went, oh my God, this isn't exactly written for me. This is written for my clients. This is written for the people who show up at my float center. Is that who you wrote it for? Is that sound right? Yes, it is. It is so. So I'm very much the, the the like the everyday guy floating, and also the guy who floated for anxiety and panic, and like when my life collapsed, I wound, I found my way into floating. But I wrote it for the guy or girl who's just uh, new to the idea and wants to know like the gist of floating right. mm-hmm. quickly, easily in a couple. You know, you could read this in a in a couple afternoons. Um, and so that I told I totally wrote it for that. It's funny you mentioned that because. I I was concerned in the beginning. I'm like, you know, hardcore meditator floaters are going to find that this is like child's play, some of it. So I, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, with that being said, there's a lot of really good content in this book, and I, I want to get into it while we talk here today, um, particularly with some of the, I don't know if you call them case studies or not, but some of the people that you interviewed or talked with. Um, Michael Harding is one that comes up in particular. I, I want to Oh, talk yeah, about. the war vet. Yeah. Um, he, he brought up some emotions for me, for sure. Um but before we get to that, I would like to hear a little bit about your story. And I mean, that's a lot of the book is, is you telling your story. Um, but do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about where you were at? Um, I think you were living in, in California and working on music. Yeah, I was. Um, it was crazy. So my life, I'm, I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah. Mm-hmm. And when I got out of high school, I went uh, into college and I found myself like an amazing college dropout. I was so uninterested in everything that I didn't want to do at that moment. So everything as far as math and history and all these things didn't appeal to me. So I was failing out of college and life was pressure cooking, it felt like. And I was just caught up in uh, drug use and, and not, and just too much drinking and too much, I don't know what, how you'd even put it, but it was just not healthy habits. I wasn't taking Mm -hmm. care of myself. It was weird. 
the pressure cooking drove me to just leave and I it felt like running away and I ran away to LA to go to music school because I had always been interested in producing music kind of like yeah. think of more of like creating beats and producing audio engineering is what it was specifically for okay so I got I got to LA and I was I was young and dumb and I, I really felt like part of being strong at that point in my life was not asking for help from anyone so I didn't I didn't reach out to family or friends and I was in LA and everything was going bad fast. I had, I had, uh, like a lot of job opportunities build up and fall through. Mm-hmm. And I was, I had found my way to a studio, an audio studio. We were doing sound for movies and I was just working like crazy. Um, just like six days a week, you know, 12 hour days. And then just trying to, I was, I was at the time still drinking a lot, still Parting a lot, my boss at the time. That's all we did outside of working, wow. and I was I was really burning at both ends, right. and I was emotionally unstable. But what was weird is at the time I wasn't in tune with this stuff. And as far as my mind, I was like, oh, I'm just this way. I, you know, I didn't realize I was so unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And I I snapped. We went to a, a conference in Vegas, and I was preparing for it, working just pulling all nighters. And we got to Vegas, pulled an all nighter, and uh, set up a booth and. I was I was taking energy drinks and drinking. I was so unhealthy; it makes me sick. <laughs> now that I'm I'm saying this out loud, it makes me sad about myself. I'm like, no, no mm-hmm. wonder you got there. And um, I just I had this after after you know a couple all nighters. I just eventually reached the breaking point, and I didn't know what it was at the time, but I couldn't breathe, and I was shaking, and in my head I was just like replaying like fears of going crazy, and my this is a little bit tangent, but my uncle, when I was growing up, had schizophrenia. I was going to ask you about. And when he was 18, his whole life collapsed. And all I all I did was growing up was hear about this story of my uncle. And I saw my uncle, and he was just his life was over. He was just total mental patient, and he's passed now. But I I grew up with this fear that one day I might do that, and it's totally irrational. And um, anyway, I when I had the anxiety and panic in the Vegas hotel room, I assumed I was going crazy and that I had schizophrenia. It was the weirdest thing. It's like I just picked, I, I couldn't explain it. So I picked that and that fueled it. That just was like pouring gas on a fire. And that night in the hotel room, I I was embarrassed to reach out for help. And I was embarrassed. I didn't want to call an ambulance. And I got, it was weird at the time. I just got in the tub, um, turned on the warm water thinking it would be soothing. And it was, and I just, and- Go ahead. So you were you were thinking about calling an ambulance just because you couldn't breathe at that point? Yeah, and shaking, and then I, I mean, was. It was physical. It was total physical, uh, just the breathing and the shaking, and my eyes, my eyes would. I was so nerved up that my eyes would twitch, and it was freaky. It was like I had finally hit the end of my physical uh-huh. ability or whatever my physical how much I could stand, and okay. got in the tub, put my ears under the water and I was okay. I, I, mean, I, I breathed deep. I had my head on the water and I could hear my heartbeat and I pulled through for the night. And I remember calming down and going to bed and I remember waking up and being like, is it gone? And then is what gone? Feeling crazy that I'm crazy. And I just ramped it right back. And then this started like a downward spiral. We, we left Vegas I was just barely holding it together and, and and all day, every day, I was just barely holding it together. I was convinced I had gone insane and I was going to have to tell my family and check myself in. Mm-hmm. And I went to the Church of Scientology um, for therapy mm-hmm. because I was desperate and they had billboards and, 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 and the Church of Scientology, wow. I, 
I can only tell you about my experience, but it kind of freaked me out too because they had me trying to burn out my memories of everything. Like I was just going through memories so much that I was burning them out. And I, and that was just a one day event. And I don't know all the inner workings of Scientology. I can't comment on that, but I can comment on what I experienced with them even made it worse. Cause I'm like, what am I doing? I'm in this church holding these rods, trying to like go over memories of my childhood. And dude, I, I hope that wasn't too long of a way to tell this, but I just crashed. And, and I eventually called my mother, I guess I'm a mama's boy. And I, and I got, <laughs> I got, got, I flew back to Salt Lake and I went to a doctor and he's like, he's like, you are fine. He says, here's, here's, you know, a prescription for Xanax is what it was. Mm. He's like, take this and get into therapy, get into a lot of therapy. And, and, and he's like, you got to change your life. You, you, you're, you're just pushing it too hard, you know, burning it at both ends. And can I, can I take a break right there? Yeah, I do. I, um, that's, a. Uh... But before we get to the kind of the recovery portion, or at least the attempt at recovery portion, Dude. Um, I'm really curious about the, so we, working 12-hour days, and I mean, technically, I mean, when you first said that, I thought, that sounds like success to me. It sounds like, I mean, you're working on soundtracks to movies. That sounds good to me. <laughs> um, but then on top of that, partying, drinking, drugs, probably a very minimal sleep if you're already working 12-hour days and working in mm-hmm. um, the partying and all of that. Do you... Um, a few things come up for me. One is, was there any one thing that was unhealthy? I mean, could you have kept that job had you been taking care of yourself? Was that going to be yeah. there, a way to be balanced? Yes. If I would have um, reached out to friends and family and if I would have worked on developing like a healthy network of people, mm-hmm. I, I think I totally could have done it. Um, okay. But it was the fact that I was like, I felt like alone and isolated and then uh-huh. threw it all on. But I really feel like it was the support network. And I believed at the time really that being tough was not reaching out for help or support or right. venting or talking or anything. It was so weird. I was just a professional bottler. And then you had described leaving school and um, running away. Do you Did you feel pressure like you had to get a degree, like there was a, a particular path for you? I'm just, uh, I'm always curious, you know, why we make the choices in life and how you ended up there was... Were there things before that that drove you to that? Um, yeah, it's a it's a good question. I haven't been asked that question actually. So, you know, to be honest, um, when I was when I was really young, um, my dad had a really successful business. He had um, 550 employees, I think, and he had a he had a private jet and a yacht and the big house. Wow. And um, between a handful of things at his business, he was it was steel and his. Uh, his business went bankrupt because a state went bankrupt. Orange County went bankrupt when they were building their airport. I know. So, so he lost it, but, but he set for me, like when I was a child witnessing this, the bar was set Mm -hmm. high and I, and I wanted, I wanted to really achieve. And at the time that meant money for me. Um, it doesn't mean money for me now. Um, it means achievement and, and helping people. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, th- I think I, w- I knew I had to go do a, a lot more than I was doing, and college for me felt like it was in the way of actually doing something okay. great in my mind. Interesting. Interesting. I'd never even thought about that. <laughs> in the 500 hours of therapy, that never... <laughs> never <came>. uh, <laughs> not much. <laughs> uh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, if, if I could just ask one more question about that, how did he handle his financial downfall or, you know, however you want to put it. So, and did he talk about it? 
Uh, I mean, he talked about it lightly, but he's like, uh, my dad's like a cowboy, um, and he, <laughs> you don't, you don't go into the 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 feelings of it all. You just, you kind of deal and you go on and you you make good. You just do it over again is what kind of what it felt like. But he didn't get deeply into the emotions and the crash. I I watched it and I I remember thinking, wow, you know, how do you how do you do this and and just keep going and and he he did. Yeah, and it and and, and maybe that's some of the. That's how we become a man, or that's how we are a man, is to yeah, you know, maybe keep the nose to the grindstone. I honestly haven't put this piece together, and I'm not just saying that, but maybe that was kind of <laughs> where I thought of you don't, you don't reach out f- for the help, you don't do the emotional stuff, you just keep pushing. And and I don't know, I, I haven't thought about that. That's interesting, dude. Hmm. Like you're making me get really introspective. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Maybe I, I feel like I should pay you money after this. Nice. I will take donations. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> there was one more question I wanted to ask about that. Uh, if, if this tangent is okay. Um, I like the tangents. Nice. Perfect. Um, is your father still around? Yeah. Yeah. And he actually started another business. It's fairly successful and he's doing it again. Nice. So. Okay, cool. I, I, uh, it's always nice when um, I think uh, parents can see the success of their children. So I, I love that he's he's been able to see you make this change in your life. And has has your family been? I mean, I know they're incredibly supportive throughout this by reading your book. Um, but since writing the book and just in the past few years, I mean, you've you've had a a newborn and um, you're running a, comp- a a very different business than I think most people run. And like you said, it's um, I'm, I'm sure you want to make financials, but but uh, it's about helping people. Yeah, that sounds that sounds cheesy. So if I was listening to your podcast right now, I'd be like, "Yeah, he wants to help people." I'm sure, but but really, I you I, now this is me being just totally honest. Um, yeah. But but you you get a certain amount of money, and all of a sudden you realize that the money doesn't correlate to the happiness anymore. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it feels like the money might add to the lack of happiness. And that I definitely have hit that in the last um, few years. And then you have to like re you have to reassess what the point is again. And I and I think I read a study where it's not much money. I think it's twenty twenty something thousand dollars where it money no longer correlates to happiness. Once the base needs are met. Yeah, once you're you know the shelter, the food, the opportunity, and living in America, and so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. things are good. And now, what's weird is, and this is a total tangent, but doesn't it? For me, chasing the money was part of the journey, and then arriving and seeing that it's not the money was also part of the journey. But I don't know. Oh, I don't know if uh-huh. you could do it. I mean, would you ever? I don't know if I ever would have started on this stuff without the cheap pursuit in the beginning. Right. I don't know. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, just the other day, I was talking to a friend and um, about the winning the lotto. There's some billion dollar lotto uh, that just happened recently, and what what would I do if if I won or you know just won some some large amount of money? And uh, it's funny how I feel like I would definitely be in the float industry, how I would funnel money into that to do things um, yeah. because of how much of an impact it's had on my life and I've witnessed in other people. But also I, it does seem to take a little wind out of the sails because that angst, that um, uh, just that feeling that you're climbing something mm-hmm. as opposed to just being there, that process is so fulfilling um, in just a recent podcast episode, we were talking about n- not celebrating enough, not celebrating our achievements, but we also talked about how just that journey, that just continual each step uh, has a, just an amazing satisfaction as you witness your 
your projects have impacts on people and develop and become a quality that you aim for. There is. There's. There's a real. There's a real value to the the uh, the challenge and the overcoming and the just enough to keep you going and, and the achievement. It's, it's something that you don't want in the moment and you and you want to go faster. But then when you like arrive and look back, you're like, that was worth it. Right. Yeah, and it's weird. It's like human nature is weird like that. By the way, I don't think you need to uh, worry about convincing people that you're uh, about your intents. This is the flow industry. I think most people understand what we're here for, you know? <laughs> yeah, th- and that's one thing. There's nothing like the float industry, and I can say that from being in a lot of industries, but mm. float industry, you know this. It's the first industry where you show up, and I watch, I watch Ash Conn and Graham do this to you. They're like, Oh, they, they referred one of their customers like, Oh, you know, Dylan's float shop is uh, closer. You ought to go there. Nice. And it's like, right? what other industry does that happen in? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's pretty remarkable. It's very it remarkable. And, and I just, it makes me want to be a better person. Nice. Just the industry is full of the best people. Mm, love it. Yassine Daboon, he's a local here in, in Portland. Uh, he's in your book. He's an ultra marathon runner. I thought you might be interested to know that he just took third place in the Hurt 100. Uh, Shut up. Yeah, so That's awesome. He's, he's pretty ridiculous um, when it comes to running. And uh, he's he's just got a great attitude. He attracts people. You know, people just love to be around him because he's just such a such a great person. Um, and uh, he he practices practices visualization in the float tank. That's something he's talked to us about, something he brings up in your book. And I was curious, um, considering we are talking to other float tank owners, um, what kind of tips do you have for people who are um, starting? If you were to introduce somebody to a float, their first float or maybe their fifth float, but, you know, towards the beginning, um, and you wanted to gear them towards meditation, and if, if they wanted to practice meditation, what tips would you give them? Yeah, I would, I would tell them the one, uh, the one thing that worked for me, two things. Um, so when I, when I first started floating, calming, calming and quieting my mind was the hardest part. Uh, so the first tip I would give them is, you know, commit to a few floats. So they, they get over the hump of like, it's a little odd at first sometimes, um, for, for a handful of people. But the second tip, I, I, I count backwards in my mind from uh, 100 to zero and I visualize the numbers hitting and I, I visualize my breath. And for me, to quiet my mind, because it's just like a rat on a wheel sometimes, I, I, I go through the numbers, I see the number go up and down, and I breathe in, and I breathe out, and it's 100, 99, exhale, inhale, 98, exhale. You know, I'm, I'm going through it backwards, but if my mind ventures off and I lose track of the number, I start back at 100. Uh, and I could swear that because your mind knows the consequences, it stays... <laughs> in the moment better uh-huh. I don't know maybe it's just my mind and I have a weird mind but but I know I'm gonna have to start over if I lose track and so I I can commit and I can get to 100 to zero and by the time I get to zero my mind's in a totally different space it's pretty well turned off it's pretty well tuned in mm-hmm. with just feeling the body and the breath and that would be that tip worked for me so that's the first thing I would tell people cool and the other the other thing I'd tell people if they have the oppor- the opportunity capability would be uh I so this is another way I turn off my brain is the guided meditations, mm-hmm. but that's not always available in a float tank. But right. if it is, that's a great way because cool. you just kind of follow someone's lead. Mm-hmm. Nice. I think that's that's great recommendation. I think that's what I'll that's what I'll switch to. I I usually talk about something that I do that I've done since I was a kid, which is keeping water still. Just imagining a bucket of water or a lake, 
and any distraction would would cause ripples in that water. Um, but that's, you you sorry. visualize you visualize the bucket of water. Uh huh. Yeah, a bucket. If I'm if I'm if it feels like a lake is too difficult, <laughs> a lake is, <laughs> yeah. is more to carry um, in my mind. But um, that seems like your your method is a little bit more um, easier to, to grab onto for somebody to, to try to start practicing. Try it out. Um, I've, I've said that to a bunch of people, and it's worked for a bunch too. So. Excellent. Yeah, that's kind of where my go-to. It worked for me, so that's, it's easy to tell people what worked for you. Right, exactly. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Michael Harding. Um, this, this is the one that flew out of the pages to me. It definitely connected with me in a, in a just kind of gut punch or, or heart punch. Um, he suffered from PTSD. He was in Afghanistan. Um, he came. He used to be incredibly social, um, sounded like a complete extrovert, um, sounds like married to a, an amazing woman. And oh, yeah. um, when he came back, he was a complete mess. I oh, mean, yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's in the book. I don't know how I could describe it. Um, I mean, alcoholic, completely introverted, non-functioning, right? Oh, his life was collapsing in front of him, and his relationship was collapsing. And like you said, the alcohol and blacking out, and he was toast, man. Right. And what's also really interesting that I, I like that you shared in the book is that um, his wife was completely pulled down with him in this by trying to care for him and take care of him, and affected by his attitude, she um, was in therapy uh because of this as well yeah um so the the ptsd it it doesn't just affect the person who comes back it affects the the whole community of people around him as well oh yeah um so he was recommended meds um which i think is very common with with ptsd um and something that he described is that it it masked um it it almost blocked him from being able to look inward Mm -hmm. is is that how you would describe it uh so for my medication experience um, sure. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. I have been through so many medications. Um, I've been, I've been off medication for, I would guess six months to a year. I took, I took antidepressants as needed. Um, mm-hmm. don't let me go too far out on a tangent by the way, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I have, great. I've been on so many medications that I can honestly say that, um, they're just totally different. Uh, like I've mm-hmm. taken Wellbutrin and it, it amped me up, gave me too much energy where it, mm-hmm. it increased anxiety. And I've, I've taken Zoloft where Zoloft took me down too much and numbed me where I was watching like really sad things on TV and I didn't feel anything or something sad happened to life and I didn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. So brain chemistry is crazy and scary. And, um, but, but don't get me wrong. I'm not totally against medication. I'm just saying, I believe that you could totally be numbed or I believe anything could happen on the right medication. So mm-hmm. good or bad. And that's also something you talk about in the book is that medication isn't isn't bad and and it's not also necessarily perfect either no um, I, I really i i think uh i would bet a lot of uh, the float type people would be like medication is really bad because it's a really natural type crowd that follows floating sure but for me i i mentioned in the book but i look at i look at um let's just say anxiety or depression medication as i would look at advil and and if someone really twisted their knee or ankle um, and they wound up in a bad place. I wouldn't ever blame anyone for taking what they need to get by and to get working on themselves. I think my problem with medication is when they take medication as the end, and they they go, "Hey, how did I get into this?" You know, like that, maybe because I'm an unhealthy person with bad relationships. But when they just take the pill and go on, I think that's the real failure in it. I think if you look at it as 
I'm taking an Advil so I can use my knee and I can learn to use it, you know, so I can be better on it or I can re-strengthen it. And my goal is to not need this, but we're going to find out if I need this or not. I think that's my kind of view on medication. Interesting. So it could be a downward spiral of medication on top of medication as opposed to medication to almost almost band-aid if i don't want to no i think that's a that's right that is a in my in my turn or in my book that's a fair term like what if you um i'll probably come up with a horrible example but what if you were just did a, a hobby that was really hard on your back and then you end up taking medication and just keep doing that hobby that's really hard on your back and you mm-hmm. keep making your back worse needing more medication it's a downward spiral but you know, if you take that medication and go, you know, I can't really do this because this got me here. I have to make changes. Then the medication, if it gets you through or gets you where you need to go, it's not not bad to me. Got it. You come back to, was it Salt Lake City? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. And what happens when you come back home? Uh, I came back home and I had my natural network support. Um, that's big. I don't. I don't know if. So maybe it's not big for everyone, but it's big for me to have that support around you and close, and the friends and the family, and talking through your stuff every day is great, and connecting and loving. Uh, but but then let me shorten it up a little. Uh, I get long winded, but um, <laughs> there's there's no time limit. <laughs> so I uh, I continued therapy. Uh, I get home, and that's when I found floating, you know, just randomly looking for easier ways to meditate. So I hmm. to take it back. I found meditation through my therapist. Um, he said I had to try it and it made such a difference. I had to start with mm-hmm. guided meditations in the beginning mm-hmm. and that's how I found my way to floating. But I did a lot of healing at home back in Salt Lake. While you were talking, I, I just, something popped up in my head was that you used to be on YouTube. You were one of the first YouTube videos I'd, I'd ever seen. I'd actually forgotten about that. Um, so you ended up making your own float tank. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, at the time, I was looking for an easy way to meditate. Um, I stumbled onto float tanks and the Joe Rogan stuff. Probably most of the listeners have seen that video where it's like all the art uh, snipped together with Joe Rogan's voice on floating. It's pretty popular. Yeah. video totally <laughs> got me hooked on floating and I hadn't done it, but I was hooked on the idea of what it could do, um, especially after seeing what meditation had done. So at the time, this is years ago, it's like five, six years ago, it was meditation or floating. The closest I could do it was Vegas. And, you know, to, to take a trip to Vegas, try floating, come back, I just felt like I'd rather spend the money attempting to build my own float tanks. That's what I did. But yeah, those were early videos, man, when I was building that thing and putting that out. And I remember back then you were you were recording videos of your floats and also just selling your design for a couple dollars online for anybody who wanted to to make their own float tanks. Um, I, uh, I always thought it was just the coolest. I just, I, it's weird. I, I don't know if anyone could imagine themselves building a th- giant float tank <laughs> right. of something they've never done in their basement. Just yeah. weird. <laughs> those videos are still up. I'm going to, I'm going to um, put one of those in the show notes here just so people can <laughs> see that beast. I, it's, it's pretty amazing. I saw him. I had, I had a pretty killer mustache in the, some of those old videos. <laughs> I'll try to find that one. No, please don't. That's great. <laughs> <Just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so you didn't have to stick to somebody's guidelines of 60 minute floats or 90 minute floats. What, what did you find was good for you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so let me think. 
Uh, I expected the world um, in my first float. Like, honestly, uh, could you imagine the anticipation of building a tank? Oh, my God. Totally. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then <laughs> filling it and getting in. And I was like, I'm going to travel to outer space. And actually, right. it was kind of normal. Um, but but it was with my second, third float that uh, things really got awesome. Uh, where getting, you know, more of the leaving your life and your physical form and just really just going into thought and peaceful states. But uh, I naturally wound up like 45 hour. I was naturally kind of that type. And it, it wasn't until I got even more into it that I found that the longer floats were awesome. But it was like uh, I had longer floats aren't as natural for me. I have to kind of plan on it and go into it wanting to go longer. Mm. And and I've, I've hear people say that like, crossing the two hour mark is amazing. And I haven't done much of that at all. So uh, I, I, what are you, what's your length? Yeah. Two hours is my absolute maximum. We, we have people who like to do late night floats and, you know, sleep overnight in the, in the float tanks. And I can't do that. Eventually I want to get into my bed. Um, the 90 minute mark seems to be about when I come out of it. Um, it, it's usually right before the music comes on. Sometimes it catches me. Um, but the 90 minute mark seems to be about right. Um, but actually we were, we were just talking about this on the show, how everybody's different and everybody finds they just have that time when they're, they're just kind of done. And uh, I get, maybe... I get a, I've had floats where I get very fidgety. Oh, like sure. My, my body almost feels itchy. Like oh, I need to move it and that sort of thing. But, uh, what's weird is like when I first got the habit, I found that like 45, I was like, I could get in the zone fast and nice. come 45 minutes. I was like, Oh, that was great. And weird. I bet, I bet for the hardcore floaters, they're back 45 minutes. That's embarrassing, but that's <laughs> I don't think it's like that. Okay. <laughs> I don't think we're very judgy. Um, All right. I'd, I'd like to think not, but, but yeah, actually we we're, we're just talking about how, um, Mark, the uh, co-owner of Float Nashville, he does 45-minute floats, um, and he floats, I, I want to say, twice a week. Like He floats very consistently, but it's just shorter floats, and that's just, just how he likes to do it. Um, it. It's what works for you, right? I don't think yeah. it's about... No, I, no, uh, no one's something. judgy. I don't know why I've, I mm-hmm. even mentioned that. It just <laughs> <laughs> never ran into that. But but that's not to say there's not a lot of debate about the right amount of time. And per- particularly in a commercial center, it might seem more financially viable to do a 60-minute float. So are there benefits to doing it that way? Um, also, there's sometimes a barrier to entry with the 90-minute float. Of, that just seems like a really long time to somebody who's never floated before. Oh, I um, think a newbie would have trouble getting 90. Right? Yeah. Yeah, the, it's uh, it's an interesting topic and an interesting interesting debate that seems to be a running theme throughout our show at this point. <laughs> I'm, I feel I felt a lot of push to go for these super long floats, so uh-huh. I'm gonna try it, but I, I can't see it being like a habit of mine. Yeah, but I'm definitely gonna try it. I'd like to try a handful. Again, it's it's what works for you. Reading your story reminded uh, I don't know if reminded it it brought up some things about my my own personal life um, where I don't believe I've ever technically been depressed. I mean, that's a very serious condition. Um, but I did experience what my therapist said was, or counselor, uh, said was just basically it was just burnout. <laughs> it was that I just yeah. didn't have anything to feed the receptors in my brain. Uh, I just, I was just burnt out. Um, and the idea of, well, a getting off the couch was incredibly difficult. And this is actually after we opened the float shop, this is uh, probably just around the time that we opened was I was just hitting absolute burnout. Um, oh man! You're talking about not being able to experience emotion. Um, that, that was 
definitely at that point, and it wasn't because of medication. <laughs> I just I just couldn't feel anything. It was very weird. And um, I had a friend, actually an employee, uh, who would say, "Get off the couch, you know, go for a run, do this." And it would just make me so angry because <laughs> um, no. it, it felt like so much work to do that. Um, so my first question is just how, if somebody is experiencing depression or, or this this burnout or just this, uh, I don't want to even say lethargy because it's bigger than that, but just this inability to take a step, what is that first half step somebody can do to, to towards wellness? Um, if, um, yeah, so honestly, if, if someone turned to me and said, I just can't, do this i can't even take the first step mm-hmm. <sighs> i feel like I would, I would immediately say you know start looking around at everything you can do to trim all the stuff that stresses you out mm-hmm. which is e- easier said than done but then also i'm a big believer in counseling so mm-hmm. uh starting that process likely the counselor is going to tell you the same thing to start you know p- cutting out stressors getting things more relaxing and enjoyable they're probably going to tell you to go do things you enjoy that Mm -hmm. are just effortless um Mm -hmm. that would be the first thing is like if you because you know and you've experienced this so you would know but there's times when it has nothing to do with like laziness or positive attitude where you're actually just toast and like it feels like dying to have to take you know one more step or do one more thing or go back and do that you know even going to work uh when I've reached total burnout is like it takes the all the effort I could possibly muster just to do little simple habits and get up and go, you know. Mm-hmm. So that that would be my thing is uh, probably I would take the counseling route, uh, yeah. counseling and trimming the stresses right now, right away and doing things you enjoy. Those three things. I think those are great recommendations. That's great. Isn't it? Isn't it so much harder, easier, easier said than done, though? Of, of course. Because when and, you get in those dark places. Uh, you don't even see the joy of doing something you enjoy. Right. It's weird. It's dark. Yeah, and asking for help or doing that doesn't – it's not there. Yeah. No. You, it's almost like you're forcing yourself to do something you know is good even though it feels so – everything yeah, feels right. wrong. Right. I'll just do this because people do this basically. Like like I started running. Um, and it's funny. I think I, – I, I swear to God I wrote a piece of your book because you were talking about running or, or working out. You mm-hmm. get the dopamine rush and it's immediately gone. As soon as you're done – you're right it's not enough spot and i was like that everybody says running and working out makes you happy <laughs> you know why am i still feeling nothing um that was incredibly frustrating for me at that time um but uh with that being said i i think those were some of the first steps to re- recovery for me um something i enjoy you want to uh kind of interesting is like i've so i write to myself when i'm in my darkest spots hmm. Uh, I just have this email that I set up, um, and it's just for my dark – hey, I'll just call it the dark diary. Um, but I write everything I can possibly think of of the feeling and um, – there's the feeling and the dark I, – I, I write the stuff that's really uncomfortable to even look at and reread. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, and then on the same token, I'll go back when things are okay, and I'll write myself like um, – so I've used this before. So I, I write like that it's, you can pull through, it will be okay. Do, do these things, you know? And for me, it's like, uh, counseling minus the stresses, but, but I write these notes and I go back and look and it's, it helps me a lot because sometimes you have to go, it, it feels so wrong that you almost, it's, it's almost like I'm writing messages to my future or past right. self to like, right. just do this dude, even though it doesn't feel right, just do this. And it, it, it's I've pulled out a couple times with that. 
That's amazing. It it sounds like you have a lot more tools than you had before. What what's the difference between Shane? How many years ago was it that you were working in California? About ten. Ten years. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So what's the difference between? I mean, okay. So we got working at least twelve hours, the partying, drugs, alcohol. What tools are you using today that make sure that you stay healthy? Um, or do you feel that you are able to stay healthy? Because um, it sure sounds like it to me. Yeah, I so uh, should I just I I'll just rattle off some of the things I do. Please, yeah. So um, so first off, I have a much healthier lifestyle. Um, the 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 partying, burning at both ends, overworking, that's fixed. Um, I still tend to bump into overworking, but I'm quicker to know what to do. Okay. To to bring it back into place, I still see counselors. I. Uh, I see counselor about once a month for OCD, anxiety, panic, which is weird because I don't have it anymore. So it's almost like we just talk about whatever I want to talk about. <laughs> okay. And I like her. She's awesome. She's helped me through a lot of stuff. Um, I see a couples counselor for me and the wife. Mm -hmm. uh, it's almost like I know the maintenance things to, for a healthy life. I work out uh, Monday through Friday. I, there's a book called The Miracle Morning that I just took to like crazy. Uh, one of my friends recommended it and it changed his life. Basically the idea is you trade in exercise for sleep in the morning. Huh? Yeah. Um, without going into too much detail, I just Monday through Friday, I wake up six o'clock and I go row for a half hour. Oh wow. Um, yeah. So it's, it's just a habit, a health habit. Mm -hmm. Um, what else keeps me? Well, I mean, just having the, the inclination, the tool set to be able to write in a diary, um, or if you want to call it that, the dark diary. Yeah. Um, that seems like quite the tool to have to know for future self, hey, when you're feeling this way or not feeling anything, you know, open this book. You know that I would – dude, you've taken me to places I've never even gone. <laughs> and I have never talked about that email diary I have. But uh, it's so valuable. If you are the type of person that goes into crazy dark places and then pulls out, leave some uh, – Leave some messages for yourself mm. so just in case you go back, you can get out. Because it – yeah, it's weird. I I go into dark places where I don't even – I'm not myself, I guess, how to explain uh -huh. it. Uh -huh. But, yeah, it's nice to have those. It's like lifelines sometimes. Interesting. That's pretty amazing. You can provide your own lifeline to yourself. I love that. Um scheduling an interview with you was really interesting to me. I'd never seen this before. We, we spoke over email. You sent me a link to schedule an interview. Um, and I could just click on a time on your own personal calendar. So do you have a very regimented schedule overall at this point? Yeah. So as much as I'm the natural floater dude, I am very uh, structured. <laughs> I have an uh -huh. assistant who's just killer. Nice. And my, my life comes down to, you know, half hour increments um, Monday through Friday, and, and it, it's very, very productive, but it's also we have to schedule in stuff so I don't burn out. Sure. But that, that, that app I use um, for scheduling is called Calendly, and it's so cool because it syncs with your Gmail, and you put parameters. So I'm only available this time to this time. I'm not available for these windows. And you can even put, like, I'm not available within 15 minutes of other appointments. And then mm -hmm. it gives the other people the opportunity to just pick, whereas you know the feeling of back and forthing. Yes. It's like, hey, give me a window. Hey, this doesn't work. Hey, yep. well, and another window. go by as you're doing this back and forth. Yes. Yeah, so Calendly's pretty cool. I love it. Uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes, too. Thanks for that recommendation. Oh, cool. You touched on it a little bit already, but I'm curious what your just purest answer is on why three floats. Why is that the recommendation? It seems to be an industry standard. I know. It's becoming a standard. Uh, I have heard of a, hand, a good amount of people who have 
a couple awkward ones. I, maybe I don't know if awkward is the word, but they didn't settle in. So I could, part of me wants to say, you know, two floats, but what if like they were so close and they needed a third? But uh-huh. yeah, it's for me, it's I don't know, two or three, but three feels safe to tell people. If, I, d- well, yeah. so I think a lot of people, their first one, they had a, they had all these crazy expectations or they had no idea and it's settling in. Second one, mm-hmm. they get the gist, they get closer, and by that third one, I don't have a good reason why, but that's what, <laughs> that's what it feels like. That's funny. <laughs> but, I, I mean, maybe if you're not even putting it into exact terms, I mean, what you're describing is just sounds like the answer. You hear about Joe Rogan or you just build up these expectations and there's some letdown. And then there's just some reacclimation to to balancing out, or you have the opposite, uh, where you you do have an incredible experience, and then the next one maybe isn't so so powerful, um, and then by the third again it kind of starts acclimating. Does that sound about right? <laughs> yeah, I like that. It's it's funny. It feels right, and it can be explained a bunch of different ways. But who knows? Sure, right. Uh-huh. This is a little bit silly here, but one other thing Michael Harding said. Uh, was why why should I try a float tank? By the way, this is not an exact quote. Why in the heck should I try a float tank when I could just pour salt into a bath and and take a salt bath? What is the difference to you between a a float tank and a, and a bath with salt in it? Well, that's a lot. Um, right. Y- y- so yeah, people are like, I'm gonna turn out the lights in my bathroom and I'm gonna you know just lay there with salt. So. Yeah, there's a handful of reasons, but just to go through the obvious ones, it's just like the anti-gravity is so important, and the amount of salt it takes for anti-gravity is huge, mm-hmm. and then the amount of space you need to really sprawl out and float is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, getting rid of the sensory, the light, and I don't know if I mentioned that, um, but yeah, just there's the big obvious ones are, yeah. are why, but uh, I see that a lot. In fact, like... Mm-hmm. Uh, just like when you see people who don't know anything about floating who are reading an article for the first time, you see that in the comments. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Like like they've cracked it. Like they're yeah. like, Oh my god, I just figured this out. I'm gonna pour salt in my tub. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, those those drabby bananas. You do you see that all the time. It's funny, like a lot of people that they have the salt in the tub idea and I'm like you know, do do like a guided meditation in your tub and relax, uh-huh. and like you're, and then you're you're on your way. But you, you can't replace a float tank. It, it'll feel like it, but you're not going to replace it. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> going through your book, you list uh, and almost, I mean, so many different benefits to floating, uh, for and and you go into specific examples with different individuals and and their physical and mental health benefits from this. Um, do you think that floating can be overhyped or do you think it is currently being overhyped? Yeah, I think it can be overhyped. One of the things I wanted, I hope this came across in my book. You can tell me if it did to you, <laughs> but I, it's not a cure all. Um, for me, floating is a tool like, like, um, the gym is a tool, like journaling is a tool, like healthy relationships are a tool, but I think it can totally be overhyped as the end all cure all. And I call it, my book's called the float tank cure. Sounds kind of stupid. The guy who's saying it's not. Um, but it's, it's totally a, it's a tool. And for me, it was very much a cure for my like anxiety panic was that, mm-hmm. that, that habit. But I wanted to make sure that came across right on my book that it's not the, it's not an end all cure all. It's just an awesome tool. Nice. Um, and having read it, I would, I would agree that that, uh, that's the impression I gathered through it that you never at once said, I mean, float to fix your problem, or this is the answer to something. In fact, I, I think everywhere you would specifically talk about the benefit of the float tank, it was in conjunction with therapy or in conjunction with something else. It was these, all these things coming together that made 
uh, that helped you. Good. I'm glad it came across that way because that was my main concern is like that, yeah, just that, hey, floating will fix everything. And the name of the book, it is contradictory to what I'm saying right now, but uh, I think for a title of a book to make you want to pick it up and read it. Right. That's what I chose, right or wrong. I don't know if it's right or wrong. I hear you. I'm not going to question you on that one. I'm, I, I understand wanting, wanting eyeballs on something. And um, by the time you get into the book, I think all those questions are answered. So I, I don't feel like somebody's being missold on it. Okay, good um, deal. But that's just my opinion. Everybody else, if you have different opinions, let me know. <laughs> let yeah, Shane know. No. <laughs> email me. Some hate mail would be really good. Hey, actually, that's something I, I wanted to ask you about. Um, throughout the book, you seem very, um, what, what's the word, reachable? Your email address is in the back. I think it's in the front. It's on different pages through, throughout the book. Um, have you received a lot of contact from people who have read the book? Yeah, dude, this is, okay, so this is honestly the greatest part of the book is I've had people reach out and tell me they felt like the book was like written written just for them wow. and it changed everything for them and I was I was blown away and so I don't know if people ever do this but it, I was like anytime a book touches me I got to write the author cuz it feels so good ah interesting so I I did I made I just made myself accessible through email and of course I couldn't do phone calls and stuff but, sure. but the email's cool I can work on that you know in my schedule but it feels right, so right. good to connect with people I've had yeah. It's been freaky what it, this book has done, and, and I, huh. I put a lot of effort and energy, and I really wanted to nail the book, but I ju it just feels amazing when someone reaches out and says it touched them, they started floating, it's changed their lives, wow. they've reduced their anxiety and panic, hmm. and I'm like, oh my God, it, it, it did some good. Thank God. <laughs> That's very cool. Now, yeah. are people finding that in the float centers? How are they finding your book? Yeah, I think – so the, the books are mainly going through centers. They it seems like a, uh, one or two trickle out a day, um, just Amazon, but the flow centers have really embraced it. And nice. so when I first set up the book, I had no idea how to price it um, and sure. I priced it wrong. I didn't, I didn't do deep enough discounts. Um, th so this year I fixed it. So float centers, I think trying to remember the rates, but with 10 copies, you're saving a ton. Okay. Got it. But I just had, I talked to Graham at float on and he kind of gave me some advice on pricing it and it, it. it made sense. Cause I mean, I centers, don't want to carry 50 books right like, they're they're making do and 10 books is plenty so that's where i started it that's so. funny yeah that yeah i i completely agree making do and, and just tend not to move a ton of product uh all at once and so i feel like we do tend to order yeah the 10 minute uh, increment excuse me the 10 book increment makes a lot more sense to yeah i've to i've messed up on that one <laughs> what uh what's next for shane stott yeah i uh I got so much joy out of writing the float tank cure. I realized it was like a theme for my life, uh, book writing. Huh. So I, I'm in love with uh, stoicism, specifically Marcus Aurelius's meditations. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. Have you read no, that? Sir. No, <laughs> no, I have not. So it, it's this. So it's Marcus Aurelius back Roman times. He wrote um, not a book. He wrote his own notes for himself. So it's hmm. this scatterbrained. Oh, interesting. bits and pieces of ideas of things he had learned and witnessed and like, I mean, really, really good wisdom. And I, I fell in love originally with the audio book. I've since bought a bunch of copies, but the only thing I didn't like about it was it used all this crazy verbiage and vocabulary we don't use anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so that was the part that always bugged me. And one day it struck me, I'm like, I need to just translate this, mm -hmm. just kind of make meditations made simple is what I thought. Um, so I began translating, and as I started, you know, I've, I had a little boy six months ago. 
Congratulations. Um, <laughs> thank you. He's the cutest little damn thing. And I can vouch for I, that. I, That's an adorable baby you got there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I just love. Well, we're just so in love with the little guy. Great, but great. Uh, at, as I started the book, I was like, oh, I totally got to write this for my son. How cool. Hmm. Um, just because I, I value it so much. So I'm writing a book for my son, and uh, it's just a joy project. And I hope I hope other people who love meditations or find their way to it love it too there's so much wisdom it's weird too because you know a lot of wisdom is packed in religious teachings mm, mm-hmm. for me this guy this is just what this guy figured out in his lifetime as a human with no religious i mean they, they believed in the gods and stuff but sure. it's like all firsthand eyewitness the hard way wisdom and i love it so Beautiful. that's what i'm working on awesome thank yeah. you so much so much shane i really appreciate you sharing for sure. Is there anything else that you want to share while you're, while you're here? No, thank you so much for having me on. And I just, I feel lucky to be on, man. It's been a treat and I really appreciate you opening up for me, for, for all of us. I'm, I'm not, I'm not joking when I say this. I have never dove into like the dad stuff. I've never done it the money to the dark diary. So thank you. And I would love to talk again if you ever find a fit, man. Um, absolutely. Well, I, I think people are really going to enjoy this, so I, I think we'll want to delve in further another time. Anytime. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. You're listening to the Art of Floating podcast. 